Amen. All of God's Word, of course, this morning is a treasure to the heart of God's people. Every page we turn to, every book we read, every chapter we study, every verse uh, we turn to contains such rich spiritual truth for the heart of the child of God. It brings comfort to us in our time of need. It brings assurance to us in that time of uncertainty, in that time of trouble. It brings rebuke to us in that time of waywardness. It brings strength in a time of weakness. It brings hope in the time of despair. And it really is a treasure trove that is filled with such teaching from heaven above. It is really a true gift and treasure of God. And all of God's word is precious. However, there are some portions of Scripture that we come across in the Word of the Lord, and they just seem in many ways to stand out, to jump out at us for whatever reason it might be, perhaps above maybe some others. And I certainly believe that Ezekiel chapter 37 is one of those wonderful portions. In chapter 36, Ezekiel was directed by God to prophesy about the restoration of Israel, but at this particular time in history, it seemed impossible to the people. When the people looked at the present state of things, when they looked at all that was taking place, they found it difficult to understand how things were going to turn, how there was going to be any sort of restoration. They saw Israel really as a dead nation. She was uh, deprived of her land, of her king, and of her temple, and all hope seemed lost. The nation had been divided, it had been dispersed for so long that any unification, any restoration, any move of God seemed all but impossible. In light of that, we learn in chapter 37 of this wonderful and supernatural experience that God gave to his servant. He gave him a vision of dry bones, a vision that would serve as a great sign of what God was able to do and indeed what God was going to do with the nation of Israel. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. Here we have something miraculous that is recorded for us. God transports his servant in the spirit of the Lord to a valley full of dry bones. And what God was going to show His servant here was going to be a great sign. It was going to be a great promise. It was going to be a great reminder of the working and the power of God. Verse 11 and onwards it says this, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. It seems like all hope was lost. They were a dead and a dry nation. But look at verse number 12. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come out out of your graves and bring you in to the land of Israel. And the Lord goes down and prophesies about this great work that he was about to do. It was Israel was going to be revived. It was going to be restored. God was going to bring them back to life again and he was going to give them this wonderful, precious promise from heaven. You know, dear believers, as we look at this account this morning in Ezekiel 37, as we look at what took place in this valley of dry bones, what was revealed here to the Lord's servant, we can't 
pass it by without applying it to the hearts of God's people today, without applying it to God's church. That's what we want to do this morning. Here is a message delivered by God, a word for the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. But yet it's a timeless message. It's a message that is applicable for our hearts and our souls this morning as we gather in the Lord's house in Colerain. Several things we want to consider from this portion of Scripture. Firstly, we see here that there was a serious problem. There was a serious problem. Ezekiel was transported here to a valley of bones. They were used, as we said already, by God to picture the current state of the nation of Israel. And dear believers, it is with solemnity and sorrow that we must look upon this vision. And we must look upon what the Lord was describing here in this valley of dry bones. And in many ways, it is a picture of the church today. In many ways, it's a picture of many of the hearts of God's people today. Certainly, we can apply it to our own land. We can apply it to our own country. We can apply it to our own hearts in many aspects. Firstly, in this problem, we see that there was a death. All that the Lord's servants saw around him here in this valley was bones. We learn in verse 2 how Ezekiel passed them round about and how there was many bones in the valley. These were human remains. These were skeletons of once were human bodies, once filled with life, once with breath in their lungs. And yet they were scattered all over the place. There was a death. A great death. Oh, as far as the Lord's servant could cast his eye as he went round about, as he traveled in that valley, as he cast his eye across whatever he could see, all he could see was death. All he could see was bones, the remains of human bodies. There was no life whatsoever in this valley that the Lord had transported him to. No life in these bones. These bones that once supported human life, transported Life around the earth, they were just bones now, lifeless. Oh, when they were alive, when they were connected to their tissue and to their blood, when they were as they ought to have been, everything else that makes up uh, the human body was there of vital importance. They were a key part. They were of vital importance. They sustained life, and yet here they are now. They are lying lifeless. They have no breath in them. It's just a valley of dry bones, unable to do anything, no use to man or to beast, and Ezekiel here, he's standing in a valley full of death. And God used this as a picture of the nation of Israel, a nation that was dead in many respects. They were in captivity. They were living dead, really, I suppose you could put it. There was no end in sight to that captivity. They had lost hope. They thought they were cut off forever. It seemed like they would be of no use to the Lord and into his plan and purpose again for the rest of their days. That's certainly how many would have viewed it. As we apply that this morning to the hearts and the lives of many of God's people, as we bring it close to home, to the state of the church in this day and this age, what a picture it is of many today. Much of our spiritual walk with the Lord and much of seeking to live for Christ, we must confess that there's a deadness. In the church of God, in so many aspects, in the spiritual state of the nations, so often there is this spiritual deadness. The church seems to have no life, seems to have little spiritual power. It seems to have little usefulness in the day and age in which we're living. Well, we can read of... What has taken place in days gone by, we're amazed as we 
listen of testimonies of how God came down, how even in this denomination of ours in, nation, uh, in days gone by, how the Lord has moved. He sent his Spirit. There was a reviving of hearts and souls. Souls were being saved at nearly every single meeting that was held. Imagine that most, if not all of us here this morning, have listened to those accounts. We've watched videos testifying of them. We've spoken to those who were there firsthand. And we have been moved by those accounts. We've shed a tear. We have thought about what it must be to be in such a move of God. To have the Spirit of God breathe in such a way. And then we think about today and we look at the state of the church and we consider our own spiritual standing and we, uh, we lament that there's a deadness. We seem to have so little spiritual life. God's people do not hold the Sabbath as they used to. God's people have a lessening desire to attend the house of God. There's a lessening appetite and urgency for the place of prayer. There's a coming to the Lord's house on the Lord's day and there's a leaving without really ever being touched and affected by the Word of God. Have you ever wondered why that is? As God's Word is open, the most powerful book there is with the most wonderful message delivered with the Spirit of God. How you can sit under its preaching week by week and be untouched and unmoved by its message because so often we have a deadness in our hearts. We have a deadness in our walk with God. There's a deadness in our appetite for the things of God. Oh yes, we're alive to the things of the world. We get moved and excited by material things. But oh, when it comes to the things of the Lord, when it comes to spiritual matters, how we must confess before the Lord this morning, there's a deadness. We're not walking with God as we ought to walk. Dear unsaved soul this morning as we think, about the death and these dry bones. Oh, how it can be a picture of your heart and your soul today. You're dead to the things of God. Spiritually speaking, you're dead. You're dead to the message of the gospel. You're dead to the grace and the mercy of the Lord. You're heading to that eternal death in the lake of fire, and there's a deadness in your soul. And those Ezekiel looked upon this valley of bones, he saw a death. But secondly, he saw that there was a dearth. There was a dearth. We learn at the end of verse 2 that these bones were very dry. What does that mean? Well, it meant that not only were these bones dead, but humanly speaking, there was absolutely no hope or prospect of them ever having life again. John Gill said that through length of time they had lain there exposed to wind and weather, the flesh being wholly consumed from off them, the marrow within quite dried up so that there was no probability nor hope, humanly speaking, of their being quickened. These bones were long dead. They were well dead. They seemed to be past all hope, past all opportunity to ever see life again. We know today that with the advances in medical technology that a person can be clinically dead and yet be resuscitated. They can be brought back to life again, as it were. Hearts can be restarted. People can begin to breathe again. But there always comes that point of no return. There always comes that point when we pass from this scene of time and into God's eternity. There's a cutoff when, medically speaking, all hope is gone. There is no uh, chance of restoration or revival. And these bones here, they are long past the hope of revival, humanly speaking. They are long dead. 
That certainly was the feeling of the nation of Israel. Pictured in these bones, they felt there was no hope. All hope was lost. They seemed to have been dead for so long. Nobody expected anything to change, but that they would remain in captivity with no hope of rescue, no sign of reviving. Isn't that how sometimes we can look upon the church and the nation today? A nation that has fallen so far from God. The hearts of so many of God's people that have wandered so far from Him. We think of the deadness that has entered in. We look at our own lives and our own walk and we think about the deadness that there is in our walk with Christ and we can look upon it and we can think, well, there's no hope. There's no hope of anything changing. There's no hope of a reviving. There's no hope of a move of God. And so often we come to the house of the Lord on the Lord's day and we don't expect anything to happen. We don't expect the Lord to speak. We don't expect souls to be saved. We don't expect men and women and young people to be called into the service of God because so often we have lost hope. We think we have gone past the stage of revival. We can become discouraged. We can think that all hope is lost. But dear believers, this morning as we look upon the work of God, as we consider the God we serve today, as we think about how the church has fallen from Him in so many ways, we can wonder where is our hope of revival? Is God ever going to move again? As you look at your own heart this morning, as you consider maybe how you're not walking with God as you ought to be walking, as you consider how in many ways in your spiritual life there's a deadness that has entered in. You don't have the same desire for the Word of God. You don't have the same appetite for the place of prayer. And you might think that you're beyond reviving. There's no hope. Maybe that's your attitude this morning. Dear unsaved soul, in your state of sin, in your state outside of Christ, you think about how sinful you are. You think about the things that you've done, the life that you've lived, and you think that you're beyond all hope. That's certainly the condition of these bones. What a serious problem. Death, dearth, there's a disunity here. These bones were not united. We learn in verse 6 that there was no sinews or flesh. On the bones. We learn in verse 7 that these bones were not together. They were disjointed. There was no unity. And of course the nation of Israel was very much divided. It was very much dispersed. In that sense there was no unity. You know how today when we think about the church. When we think about the hearts of God's people. How so often there can be so much disunity. Believers fighting against believers. Seems today so much that the church is more a competition than it is a community of God's people, more a battlefield than a battalion in the army of the Lord. So much disunity. Christian families falling out with Christian families. Believers not willing to sit beside another believer in church because of some falling out and some bitterness, and there can be so much disunity. There can be so much bitterness among the people of God. Think about the work of God. There are those that put their hand to the ply, those that are willing to get stuck in. There are others that sit back. There are those who see the importance of prayer. There are others that see no place for prayer. There are those that throw their entire weight behind the work and the service of the Lord and those that sit back and do very little for the Lord. And there's disunity so often. And dear unsaved soul, there's a great disunity in your heart. And your soul, for you've been separated from God, you're cut off from Him. 
You can never enter into the presence of the Lord without sin, without wickedness in your heart. There's a disunity. There's a disjointing here. What a serious problem this was for Israel, this problem pictured in the dry bones. But not only do we see a serious problem, but there's a solemn pondering here. You see, God asks Ezekiel a question. Ezekiel's had time to go around these bones. He's had time to take in the sight. He has seen the death. He's seen the dearth. He's seen the disunity. And he is trying to comprehend and to take in what his eyes are seeing. And he realizes the death. He realizes, humanly speaking, a lack of hope here of any reviving of these bones. And then God, in verse 3, he asks him a very challenging question. He says there to him, can these bones live? Ezekiel, is there any hope for these bones? Is there any way that they can know life again? Is there any possibility that they can be restored and revived and to know life again? Ezekiel answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. We might ask ourselves that question this morning as we think about the church. Is there any prospect of life? Is there any hope? Revival. Is God going to work again? Or have we gone too far? Have we fallen too deeply? Have we become too comfortable in being far from God that there's no prospect of any reviving? Ezekiel, as he looked upon these bones, he knew that it certainly wasn't probable that there would be life again. He knew that in and off the bones themselves, it was not possible for them to have life again. But we can assume here by his response back to God that he didn't believe that it was impossible because he refers the question back to God. He says, only you know God. Only you hold the answer to that. So too it is today, dear believer, the answer lies to God. Where is our hope of revival? Humanly speaking, it's not possible for the church to be revived. Humanly speaking, it's not possible for backsliders to be restored. It is not possible for sinners to be saved. But thank God this morning we have a God of impossibility. What seems impossible to man, what seems like a hopeless situation as we look at it with our human eyes, yet when we bring God into the situation, oh, how things change. The church can be revived. The backslider can be restored. The sinner can be saved. Can these bones live? That's what the Lord asked Ezekiel. Serious problem, the solemn pondering. Thirdly, we see here the sovereign power. What took place in regards to these bones was nothing short of a wonderful display of the sovereign power of God, a God that changes things. Notice here, firstly, in this display of power, that God's word was heard. His word was heard. I want you to really get a hold of this point. Here was the beginning of the display of God's power in relation to this valley of dry bones. Firstly, they heard the word of God. We should never underestimate the power of the word of God. Never underestimate the power of God's word in our lives or the power of of God's word in the church. Yes, there's power in prayer. We know that and we often relate to that point, especially as we think of revival. But we must not forget that there's power in the word of God. How did, they, how did our God begin to work here in Ezekiel 37? It was through his word. 
time and time again as we go down through this wonderful chapter, God gives a message to Ezekiel, a message that he's to deliver to these dry bones. Look at verse number four. Again, he said unto me, prophecy unto these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And as we move down this chapter, we'll see that there were different prophecies, different messages that the Lord's servant was to bring to these bones, all of which were sent from God. They were the word of the Lord. There was no prospect of these bones ever being revived, no prospect of their condition ever changing, no prospect of anything ever being different until the word of the Lord entered in. And dear believers, the only way that we will ever know and experience the reviving power of God in our hearts and in our churches and in our nations is when the Word of God enters in, when we get back to the book. So often we've neglected the Word of God. We've turned from the truth of God's precious Word. We don't read it as we ought. We don't meditate upon it as we should. We do not listen to it and heed it as God requires So easily we are distracted and hindered. Oh, unless we return to the word of God, unless we allow God's living word to take a grip on our heart and our souls, there's never going to be a reviving of our hearts. We're never going to know God's reviving power unless we cling to the book that he's given us. Dear believer, I'm speaking to my own heart, of course, here. As well, this power of God requires, or for us to see it in reviving the church in our hearts, we need to get back to the Word of God. We need to meditate upon the Word of God. Dear unsaved soul, this morning you must heed the Word of God. If you want your condition to change, if you want to be right with God, if you want your sins forgiven, If you want to be united to God, forgiven of your sin, your soul saved for all eternity, you need to heed the word. You need to heed the message of the gospel. You need to turn to Christ as your own personal Savior. What happened here is God's word was heard. Firstly, there was a noise. Look at verse number 7. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. Now, the original Hebrew word used for noise here speaks of a voice. There was a voice. It wasn't the voice of Ezekiel because he tells us here that this a voice appeared as he prophesied. Ezekiel would not need to tell us that it was his own voice was heard as he spoke. This was the voice of God that began to speak. And dear friends, when we get back to the word of God, it will not be the case that you come to church and you just hear a minister in the pulpit coming and bringing a message, but you'll begin to hear the Lord speak to your heart and your soul. His word will become applicable to your heart. It'll become relevant to you. As you meditate upon God's word at home, the Lord will speak to you through it. What a display of God's power that he would speak to us through his precious truth. That's what happened here. There was a noise, there was a voice that began to speak. Not only was there a noise, but there was a shaking. We learn in verse number 7, And behold, a shaking. There was a shaking. God's word was prophesied as the word of the Lord went forth into this valley to these dry bones. The valley began to shake. There was a, a moving. There were signs that God was beginning to work. Something was beginning to happen. Something was beginning to change. Just think of the silence and the stillness. 
would have been in that valley of dead bones, but now it begins to shake. Dear believer, God's word shakes things. It shakes hearts, shakes churches, it shakes nations. You know how we need the Lord's word to shake us out of our spiritual slumber and sleep? It's the only thing that's going to wake us up. It's the only way the church is going to be revived. It's the only way a nation is ever going to turn to God by being shaken by the Word of God. Oh, that the Word of God would shake us. Oh, that it would awaken us. Oh, that it would so touch our hearts that we would be moved by the shaking of God. It's God's Word that shakes the sinner, brings conviction to the soul. There was a noise, there was a shaking, there was a unity. God's word brought a unity. Look at the end of verse 7. And the bones came together, bone to his bone. We thought about how these bones were disjointed, but the word of God came and began to piece the bones back together again. There was a reuniting. As we think about disunity in the church, as we think about getting on with our brethren and sisters in Christ, oh, how we need the word of God to come to bring unity, to bring a peace. God's word was heard. Here was the beginning. The display of God's sovereign power. But then, secondly and finally this morning, very briefly, not only was God's word heard, but God's breath was experienced. Look at verses 9 and 10. Then said he unto me, prophecy unto the wind. Prophecy, son of man, and say to the wind, thus saith the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them. And they lived and stood up upon their feet, an exceeding great army. What a scene was before the Lord's servant here. Multitude of dry, lifeless bones in this valley, bones with no hope, bones with no prospect of life. And yet God breathed upon them. The breath of God enters in and they begin to live and they stand and they become this exceeding great army. What a wonderful scene before Ezekiel. Three things to notice as we close. Firstly, the breath of God brought a reviving. Verse 10 says they lived. They were revived. Just moments ago they were dead. No life. No prospect of life. But the breath of God came and entered into them and immediately they had life. And oh, how we need the breath of God. How the church needs the breath of God. How our own hearts need the breath of God. I think so often when we speak of revival, when we pray about revival, and it's right to pray about revival, we can so often get ourselves into bondage and thinking about having all our ducks in a row. How we must have this and that in order for revival to come. And of course, yes, there are things that we must do, things we must do in preparation for the Lord to work. But I tell you this this morning, unless the breath of God comes upon us, unless the Spirit of God descends upon us, church, we're never going to experience revival. Visit us, Lord, with revival stricken, with coldness and death. Where is our hope of survival? Save in thy life-giving breath. Oh, we need the breath of God. Oh, how far the unsaved soul this morning when God breathes upon you in salvation, how you're brought out of that spiritual death. You're lifted from your sin. 
taken out from under the condemnation of God and life is breathed into you. You're given abundant life. You're giving eternal life. You only really begin to live. You're born again of the Spirit of God. The old things are passed away and behold, all things become new and you begin to live as never before. God awakens you from the spiritual death and he gives you life. You need the breath of God. This breath of God brought a reviving. Secondly, it brought a restoring Notice there in verse 10 how the bones stood up upon their feet. They were lying down lifeless just moments ago. They were down among the dust, down and outs. But the breath of God has come upon them and they begin to stand. God's breath has restored them. He'll do the same for us. Visitation of the Spirit of God will bring a restoration. No longer will we be lying. The dumps and the depths of our sin will be brought to our feet back into the work of God, back into worship. And the praise of God, revived, restored by God's grace, then not only a reviving and a restoring, but finally this breath of God brought a reinforcing. Look at how these bones are now described at the end of verse 10. It says, an exceeding great army. As we said before, what a sight this must have been. These bones that once were lying dead in the dust, they are described now as an exceeding great army. They're ready for the battle. Bones which once had no strength. Bones which once had no life. Bones that once were really the down and outs with no hope or prospect. Here they are fit for the battle. They're an exceeding great army. Dear child of God, when God breathes upon his people, when he breathes upon his church, we'll be equipped for the battle. He'll make us an exceeding great army. We'll be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God will equip us. He'll use us. He'll send us where he wants us to go. He'll use us in the ways that he wanted to use us. No, dear believer, we need the breath of God. We need a move of God in our hearts and in our lives. That's true of all of us this morning. It's certainly true in our homes and in our churches. We need to return to the Lord. We need to pray for the breath of God. We need to long for that breath to come. Oh, may that be our desire. That be our longing, may that be our prayer in this day and age in which we live, that the breath of God would come. And as we pray, and as we wait for it, may we wait with anticipation and expectation, knowing that the Lord can, and that he's willing, and that he's able to come and to breathe upon us once again. May the Lord bless his word to our hearts this morning for his own name's sake. Let us still our hearts before the Lord as we bring... Our meeting to a close. Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for time spent in Thy house today. We rejoice in the privilege that it is to be able to worship and to praise Thee. We thank Thee, O God, for Thy Word. We thank Thee for this wonderful portion of Scripture that Thou hast recorded for us in Thy Word. And Father, we come before Thee this morning and we must confess, and I confess, that we need the breath of God Father, how so often there's a deadness that has come in. So easy it is for us to become cold in heart and look warm to the things of God. We have an apathy. We become comfortable. We go on not really expecting anything out of the ordinary. But, O oh God, we pray that you'll breathe. Send thy spirit, O oh God, we pray. Revive our hearts. Revive our churches. Revive our homes. 
And Father, we pray that there'll be a great turning away from the things of the world and a great turning again to thee. Come and breathe upon us, we plead. And Father, we pray you'll breathe upon the sinner, breathe upon the one outside of Christ. Father, we acknowledge this morning that man cannot create an anxious thought. There's nothing we can do to save a soul. But Father, we rejoice that thou art able. And Father, we pray that you'll breathe upon the sinner. Give them that life, eternal life, abundant in Jesus Christ. And Father, we'll be careful to give thee all the honor and all the glory. Part us now with thy blessing, with thy presence. Bring us to your homes in safety. Be with us throughout this thy day. May we honor thy name. and Bring us back safely again to the house of the Lord later tonight, we ask. For it's in our Savior's precious and worthy name we pray. Amen.